Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Here we are. The bleachers are open again. It is Jeff Blum and David Tuttle with you here on Bleacher Blums. I know it's been a little bit of a while. Lord knows I've been prepared, and I think I sent probably just probably one of the bigger monster emails to Tuttle to get this show set up. I've been anxious. I've been chomping at the bit. I felt like we had some momentum going, and then freaking Labor Day. You know, those who labor on Labor Day, is it really Labor Day? Because I know that in the baseball world, a lot of those summer holidays are taken away. The 4th, 4th of July's, Memorial Day's, Labor Day's. And I, I was working. Tuttle was not. So he got to enjoy that weekend. So we kind of took a little bit of a hiatus. So we apologize for that. But we did have a great turnout last podcast that we did have go up. And we appreciate everybody getting on it and downloading it and subscribing to it because, you know, the returns have been phenomenal. And it really looks like the bleachers are starting to fill up for us. We appreciate that. We know that you guys are engaged. We want to continue that. And we want to create maybe a little more momentum, try and be a little more consistent because my season is starting to wind down. The kids are getting back in school. And we all know that when uh, the team, the Astros go to the playoffs, which they will, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show about how well they're doing this season and what to expect in this last month of September, is that uh, when the when the Astros go to the playoffs, myself, Todd Callis, and Julia Morales, I feel bad. I don't have an ES or an AS at the end of my name. I don't fit in. I'm the oddball. When we go to the playoffs... It will just be the national broadcast, and that's when my t- Twitter feed goes bonkers with, I can't stand the national feed. I wish we had local guys. Of course, I appreciate that, and I welcome it. So my Twitter handle is at Blummer27. If you want to get at me during the postseason or to finish off this season to stay engaged and maybe talk about this podcast or what the Astros are going through. But, uh, of course, I don't do this podcast alone. i got to bring in my good buddy, David Tuttle. Tuttle, how are we doing? Doing great, Plumber. Hey, a uh, couple things about what you just said, which is hilarious. I'm sure you can wear your uh, your jersey to MMP, your uh, your uh, all white jersey out there, and uh, you'll attract some fans. I'm excited because the Bleacher Blums podcast is going to have an on the scene reporter for the Houston Astros playoff run. <laughs> you know, I got a couple positive things. We talked about creating tension. Uh, I mentioned SVP and Rosillo getting after it a few times and production value and things like that, but. Uh, you were excited because you didn't have to take your golf clubs to Toronto, but I made you take all of your podcast gear, and uh, I didn't. We didn't get it done, so I know you're pissed at me. No, I'm not pissed. I was a little, you know, you made fun of me because there was a road trip previously in the year where I did not bring my podcast equipment because we were not under the impression, or I was not under the impression, we were going to record anything. And then you got to me, and you're like, Where, "Where's your stuff?" And I'm like, "Dude, I didn't bring it. I didn't think we were going to do anything." Um, no, it was actually in Anaheim where I was. we were going to try and do a face-to-face. We actually got to do the podcast, but it wasn't face-to-face. And leading into this road trip to Toronto and Milwaukee, I get, I get a text from Tuttle that says, hey, don't forget your stuff. And I could sense the sarcasm oozing through the text. And I said, okay, I got my stuff. And guess what? Five days on the road, a couple of day games. We could have done, done a Bleacher Blums after dark. Might have gotten a little saucy, a little tipsy, and had a little bit of fun with it. But guess what? Here we are on the fifth of August or fifth of September. I toted my my equipment through customs, which we do actually. What people probably don't realize is that we actually do go through customs and go through the terminal when we are in Toronto. So when I was standing there in my socks, pants, and dress shirt, nothing else, 
they went through my podcast equipment. They asked me what it was for. And I said, I don't know. I, I don't know what this is for. I just kind of towed it along because I thought it looked good with my outfit. So- <laughs> That's a good comeback. Yeah. I mean, I told you I, I created some tension. I, I definitely lounged on Labor Day and I flaked out. And uh, you know what? I, I, I can handle the ridicule. I deserve it. But uh, that's hilarious. Taking it through customs. I'll, I'll set you up with some other stuff. You've had your shower shoes frozen before. It's the same thing. <laughs> to make sure you take your podcast stuff every time you go somewhere. Yeah. Next time I see Tuttle, I'm going to go in there with the scissors. You know, like guys will go in your in your locker and cut your pants in half, you know, cut your tie in half. I'll just come through and I'll just quickly slice all your cords for your podcast. So, so you'd have to go get some new ones. No, but all kidding aside, it, it's all good. We're trying to figure this thing out just like everybody else at home. We hope you're enjoying it because it sure seems like you are. We have got a lot of stuff in the works right now that we are trying to get out there. But because this weekend was a little bit extended, a lot of uh, a lot of people were on uh, that Labor Day break. And I hope that all of you did enjoy it because I know you, you all work hard throughout the course of the year and enjoy that time. I love the fact I, I actually enjoy barbecuing. I like cooking outside and I love it when fans are watching the watching the game outside barbecuing hanging out with the family because that's what it's all about it's about that communal effort to kind of enjoy these days that we do have off because everybody's working so hard in this day and age but uh that being said we are working on a website both tuttle and i and of course uh some friends of ours that we've made through this podcast at just geek it but uh we are going to get a website up soon we are working on a couple of aspects on it. It's also going to include, you know, podcast links, archives of our podcast. Uh, you're going to have the ability to learn a little bit more about uh, myself and David Tuttle. We're working on the possible idea of maybe having a mailbag Monday show where we take all of your shout outs, all of your questions, all of your conversation topics and try and get a little more involved with everybody who's listening to this podcast. So stay tuned for a lot of that. But most importantly, it's going to include a link to shop some of the swag. Both Tuttle and I right now doing this podcast have our Bleacher Blums t-shirts on. And I know that a lot of you, I know that a lot of you, and we are grateful for you for going to CrushCityTees.com to get your Bleacher Blums t-shirts. We are very happy with everybody being engaged with us and picking up some of those t-shirts. I'm not sure. Am I missing anything, Tuttle? What else you want to add to that? No, I think that's great. The uh, Mailbag Monday looks exciting. I think we'll be able to run some questions through each podcast. And of course, when there's a theme, like a common theme, if there's four or five questions on the same topic, that'll probably jump to the head of the line and we'll be able to address that. So I think it'll just increase the interactive, you know, the interactive quality of our podcast instead of having to read Twitter and then come up with some, uh, you know, some topics or whatever it is. But no, I think you covered it all. We're just looking forward to getting that thing live and it should happen soon. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about too, is that shop will expand a little bit. We do have the t-shirts on there for both men and women's, but we're also going to try and add some hats. We're looking into a couple of different options in that, but I also get a ton of feedback you know, going back to, you know, some of the big games that the Astros have had, I'll tweet out or Instagram a picture of my scorecard and I get a lot of questions. Where do I get that? How do I get that? Is that custom? And just so you guys know at home and and, and ladies who keep score during the game, it, it, it's a custom scorecard. I borrowed a couple of different ideas from some of the scorecards that I've seen from other broadcasters and some of the things that I found that I needed for myself personally to call some of these games. Because basically, I fill out my scorecard and it has all the notes I need for the game. And if I need more, obviously, I can look them up online. But it's a custom scorecard. I am trying to, I have the PDF, but I'm trying to figure out how I want to or how I would be able to distribute it 
and have everybody else enjoy it because I've been getting a lot of feedback. So keep in mind, that's going to be on that uh, website that we've got. And you've heard, just heard me mention Just Geek It. They are an incredible group based here in Houston. The name of their company is Just Geek It Solutions. It's an IT and computer repair company located right here in Houston, Texas. They have over 40 years of providing excellent customer service. Tuttle and I can attest to that because we know that they're IT geniuses because that website we keep telling you about, they're helping us develop it and answering all of our questions and keeping us up to date through email and phone calls. So it's Just Geek It Solutions. They provide same-day service for those seeking computer repair, server repair, network service, laptop repair service, virus removal, and custom computer builds. They handle thousands of business clients as well as residential customers. See why they are the best computer repair company in Houston. Call 281-826-4357 or visit us on the web at JustGeekItSolutions.com. That's JustGeekItSolutions.com. All right, it is now time for some Astros talk, and it has been a big week. I have been taking a ton of notes. I know that Tuttle has been watching because I've gotten a couple of texts throughout some of these games, so he is going to offer a lot of his input on this. We are winding down this 2019 season, and it has been extremely exciting throughout the course of the season. But a couple of quick notes that I want to mention and give some shout-outs to Jordan Alvarez. This dude is an absolute beast of a freak. I don't, I don't know if there's anything bigger or better than what he is doing right now because uh, I'm running out of superlatives for this guy, but he just won his third straight rookie of the month. He has been, he got called up June 9th and he is the rookie of the month in June, July, and now August. He's looking to get it in September, I'm sure. For me, it's an easy call. Rookie of the rookie of the year is going to be Jordan Alvarez. He's just done too much damage. We just went through Toronto, compared some of the numbers between him and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who obviously is probably going to get some votes. But a quick ask of Tuttle, from what you've seen around the league and what you've seen from Jordan Alvarez, rookie of the year is? For sure, Jordan Alvarez. <laughs> I, I've been focused on Houston as well, but uh, it'd be interesting. I love... I mean, the game's changing. We talked about the baseballs flying out uh, at a more uh, at a higher ratio than even during the steroid era, flying out of the yard. But every time they put up a Jordan Alvarez stat, the the guys they put up next to him are like Babe Ruth and you know Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, Bloom. you're like, okay, the only three guys that have ever done this are you know like Ken Griffey Jr., Joe DiMaggio, and Babe Ruth. And you're like, all right, well, that those are that's pretty good company. And then you lump them into some other category, right, as a DH, and it's like, all right, there's no one that's ever done this. I don't know about rookie of the year. Obviously, just like the save stat rookie or rookie of the month is probably a relative, you know, it's probably a relatively new statistic. But I wonder if any rookie has ever won two or three or, you know, he's heading for his fourth in a row. My my thoughts are nobody's ever done that either, winning three in a row. It's so funny because typically if you win one and, you know, that's fine. If you win two in a row, the next month they're looking for anybody else, right? So now the, the margin for error gets less. They're probably going, all right. He's won it twice in a row. Let's look for another rookie that's anywhere in the ballpark, and he'll get the votes. And sure enough, he won again. So that's impressive. No, that's a good point. You you are correct. I mean, it, it may come to a shock to a lot of people that, yes, if you have one guy win it, you're like, great. If he wins the next month, okay, the guy's been hot. But by the third month, like Tuttle is saying, sometimes Major League Baseball and other people around the league are kind of, they'll expand their horizon a little bit and try and find somebody that either comps to him or can beat him. But with what he's been able to do, he, he nobody compares to him. He's been phenomenal. It's a no-doubt uh, vote when you ask who the Rookie of the Month has been for the last three months. 
And to Tuttle's point, again, when we get to the end of the year and they vote on that rookie of the year, even though he's only been up for four months, his numbers in four months surpass a lot of guys who have been up all year long. And that's what makes him extra special for me. Uh, Alex Bregman is a player of the month for August after we saw Yuli Gurriel win it in the month of July. I think Justin Verlander just won player of the week with his no hitter. So there's a lot of good things and a lot of momentum being created for the Houston Astros going into this. Now, the month of September, as we start this month of September, it is September 5th. They are 90 and 50. Now they have 22 games left. Their magic number, everybody make note of this, the magic number is 15. And that's a combination of wins and losses for the, and who is it, the Oakland A's who are trailing them by nine games right now. And I just want to put a couple of things in perspective. If they go 10 and 12, they will end up winning 100 games for the third straight season. Only six teams in the history of baseball have ever done that. Most recently, it was the Braves during that 90s run that they had. And then towards the latter 90s and into the 2000s, it was the New York Yankees that have done it. The team record for wins is 103. So if they go, what, 14 and 8, they end up with a team record of 104 wins. So they're kind of shooting for that. Todd Todd and I talked about this the other day with all the numbers that we keep rattling off because everything is first team in history, only three teams in history. I think officially now – after what uh, previous Astros teams have done in the ni- in the 80s and 90s, most notably at the end of the 90s when they had three straight Amer- National League Central Division titles, this is the golden era of Astros baseball because of how good they are. Tuttle, do you agree? I do. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm relatively a new Astros fan. I think when I watched the Astros, when I really watched baseball when I was growing up, you know, the Astros had, you know, Jose Cruz, Mike Scott and guys like that. And they wore the J.R. Richard was there, too. And they wore the crazy, uh, you know, uniforms that everybody loves, the Carvac Brewing Company can uniforms, I'll call them now. I don't know if we go backwards. What are those uniforms called? Uh, they're called either Tequila Sunrise or Rainbow. I would say the Rainbow Uni, but that's when I used to watch them. And, you know, uh, like most teams, they had the occasional or not the occasional, but the top of the rotation guy. Like I said, when Nolan Ryan was there, Mike Scott, like they had Cy Young contender. But then that was it. After that, the fall off was drastic. I think Kevin Bass was in the lineup when I used to watch him. So you have, you know, a, a guy that could maybe contend for a hitting title. But it was kind of here here and there, right? You had one or two guys that, you know, were considered top of the league, like most teams. and then everybody else kind of, uh, I don't know, fell fell in line. You know, you're competing with the Big Red Machine back then. No, the Big Red Machine is actually a pretty good call because that was, you know, you start to get into that dynasty and legacy type attitude and idea. And those are the teams that you really look back to is the Big Red Machine, the, the Yankees of the late 90s when you had the big, you know, the, the big three for them coming up with, uh, you know, Derek Jeter, you know, Jorge Posada and uh, Bernie out there in center field. They had some very good teams and they created a legacy by keeping those guys around. And I think that's what the Astros are trying to do in keeping guys like Altuve, Springer, Correa, Bregman, Verlander, Colt, trying to keep these guys around so they can create a little bit of that legacy. And I also think that's how being a player and trying to understand what these guys are going through and what they've already accomplished, Tuttle, do you think it's possible for AJ to walk into that clubhouse and kind of say, guys, we've gotten to the top of the mountain. 
We've won a world championship. You're getting your contract. You're getting paid. Why don't we go out there and fight for legacy and try and create a little depth in this idea of us being the best team ever? Do you think that's a sell and that would encourage them to go out and try and win another title? I would hope so. Uh, To finish my point earlier, like I said, the Big Red Machine and the Pirates were the team of the 70s. And your question really is, is this the golden era for the Astros? I think so many things need to come together. But when you, the point you just made that kind of solidifies that is that this is, I mean, the Golden State Warriors, the San Antonio Spurs, we can go into other sports, the Patriots. The legacy is important. And I don't know if it was that important back in the 70s. I don't think I don't think uh, Jim Leland could go into the Pirates Clubhouse and go, all right, guys, this is about the legacy. You know, it was a different era. and We didn't have this global kind of understanding of impact. And and maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. They just went out to win baseball games and, you know, smoke a heater after the game. And, you know, that that was it. I, I, I think for sure, from a talent standpoint, this is the best from top to bottom lineup and probably from rotation wise, the Astros have ever been. The depth is there. But other teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers are kind of doing the same thing. So I I don't know. I mean, Steve Kerr had the opportunity and maybe they were a dynasty for that short time to go in the locker room and say the same thing. And a bunch of guys left. So I think it's the right message. I don't know if it'll get through. You know, somebody like Correa, probably I remember how I was at 22, 23, 24. I don't know if he understands the impact of that, because like you said, he's going to get paid. They're already having success. Uh, I heard a statement the other day is like some some of these guys come in, you know, ready to be stars, but qu- don't don't know what it takes to be a star. And some guys come into the league, what, regardless of sport, basketball, football, baseball, the big three, they come in wanting to play and wanting to be the best at what they do. And then the stardom kind of, you know, comes with that territory. Justin Verlander strikes me as an awesome professional baseball player. He knows what he's doing. Um, with that, you know, he obviously married somebody who has some notoriety and they have kids and a family. And so stardom kind of came, but Justin Verlander really cares more about getting that third, no hitter or being you know, a hall of fame type pitcher. I think he sees kind of the mountaintop there and his legacy is right there in front of him. And I, and I think the more guys you have like that in the clubhouse. So if you can have AJ Hinch and Verlander and Bregman, who seems to be mature beyond his years, and you have these guys that have their eye on the prize and understand the legacy and impact they can have by being a professional baseball player, the stardom and the legacy and all of that, the golden era will come with it. I think that is an absolutely incredible point in saying that, yes, AJ can bring it up, but you need to sell it in the clubhouse. And a lot of the way you sell it in the clubhouse is by having a couple of guys believe it. Get it? Believe it? Believe it. <laughs> but if you but to, to have a couple of guys believe it, like the younger guys to buy into it, yeah, it sounds great in theory, but you do have guys in that clubhouse currently who are going for Hall of Fame type status. So they understand in order for them to qualify for the Hall of Fame and have the numbers, it's sustained excellence. And you have guys in there, Zach Granke, Garrett Cole's on that same path, but you have a bona fide Hall of Fame guy in there in Justin Verlander, and guess what he does every five days? Goes out there and busts his ass and competes like a son of a bleh, you know what I mean? So if you have him going out yep. there and doing it, and some of his comments, if you listen to him post-game, you know, this third no-hitter to him meant a lot because he knows that it separated him and really narrowed that field of guys who have three or more no-hitters. Now he's in even more exclusive, more elite company, so he understands it. But he also, in getting those individual 
accolades out of the way, he also understands that when they do put that plaque up, it's going to say World Series champion. And that carries a lot of weight for those guys because not only do they want to be known as great ball players, they want to be known as phenomenal winners. And I think that goes a long way for those guys in creating that atmosphere within the clubhouse where you can say, yes, we created a legacy. And when they have those reunions every 10, 15, 20 years, those guys are going to come back and they're, they're going to fill out stadiums because a lot of people are going to remember this era of Astros baseball. So as good as the Astros are, if we have to nitpick, if we have to get down and dirty and get into the grittiness of, of a big league season and how it finishes and then talk about a team that is getting into the playoffs and my boy Tuttle, man, I didn't want to believe it when we talked about it maybe three or four podcasts ago, but it's amazing that on the pitching side, how good Tuttle has been at, you know, recognizing maybe some chinks in the armor of the Houston Astros. And we've really seen it play out here in recent weeks, but the bullpen. We have got to talk a little bit about the bullpen, and I'm not sure what ideas Tuttle has about it, but I'm going to break a couple of things down and talk a little bit about it because it is a little bit of a concern for me because we just saw a little bit of a hiccup again in Milwaukee with Roberto Osuna. He is still named the closer. The expectation is that he will be the closer. He gave up a – granted, he made a mistake to probably the MVP of the league again in Christian Yelich, but it was up out over the plate, got launched for a home run, tied the ball game up, and then we saw maybe a little bit of a lackadaisical, not necessarily fundamental or aggressive play on a throw to first base, and it developed a lot of scrutiny and kind of questioned a lot. I think it opened the door to a lot of questions about this guy's makeup to go out there and close out a ball game. So Tuttle, I'm going to ask your opinion and what you see with this bullpen, and then I'm going to give an update on a couple of different names that I see in this in this bullpen where there might be some weaknesses or might be some positives. What do you got? Yeah, so we touched on Osuna a little bit. I said, you know, it's one thing to have like Kenley Jansen who is struggling a little bit because his velocity's down. Osuna seems to have all his velocity and all his pitches. And and I think as we've kind of touched on before, so this is not going to be earth-shattering information, those last three outs are the toughest by far. You've seen it time and time again, even with the elite closers. I mean, you know, they might lose their mojo for a game or two, but they get it back. Osuna just doesn't seem to have his mojo. And I think that AJ's doing the right thing and, and, and Brent Strom trying to continue to, you know, he's our closer. He's our guy. They got to show him support. But as a fan now sitting at home watching these games, he's got four pitches like a starter. And you talked about Verlander, Verlander coming out every fifth day and busting his ass. Osuna does not give the impression that he's busting his ass. I mean, and maybe he's always had you know, the lights out stuff and, you know, and made it look easy. And some guys can do that. They can make it look easy. And I'm not specifically talking about the error. I mean, you know, a field goal kicker misses a field goal. You know, he hangs his head. He knows he let the team down. Everybody handles that differently. But if you compare the play he made after giving up that home run, you couldn't really tell he was frustrated. That play where he made the error and just kind of lackadaisically threw the ball over that. It's the same thing as not running out a ground ball. I mean, you've got to, you know, if it's every fifth day you watch Verlander, like Verlander's given up more home runs this year than he'd like to. And he just keeps getting after it. And we talk about grinding and being a professional and all those things. That's the one question mark I have with Asuna. The other thing from a technical standpoint, and this may be a little more enlightening, to the fans. I see Verlander, we talked about his approach with a young team, I think when he faced the Tigers and he went after them with fastballs, 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 and he expanded the zone. Osuna's thrown way too many changeups. I mean, it's so easy to sit there in the stands and be like, you know, oh yeah, well, 
let me tell Maldonado and AJ what, what the hell is going wrong. But, you know, it's weird. I mean, ultimately it comes down to the players, right? They have to communicate. And if Osuna is shaking them off, I, I, I don't know what's going on there. But you got to establish your fastball. He's throwing 95, 96, 97. He got beat with his changeup in Baltimore. He got beat with his changeup here. I don't know if he's trying to trick him too much or he doesn't have the confidence, but it feels like he's not coming into the game, um, you know, to take a line from Bull Durham, right? Establish your uh, presence with authority, <laughs> something like that. Anyway, he just doesn't seem to have the confidence. And I think just like sharks can smell blood in the water, we watched the uh, Mets uh, have an epic collapse the night against Washington. And I know that their bullpen is struggling. Edwin Diaz has struggled all year. Uh, I'm getting a little all over the map. My point is you got to come in and you got to establish that, you know, to win this game, you got to go throw me through me and I got the best stuff out here. And I don't see Osuna doing that. And until he does that, until he gets his mojo back and he takes the uh, the mound with confidence, it's going to be a challenge. Man, there's so many things to unfold right there because you're right. You know, always remember if you're, if you're a baseball fan and you're just a fan of baseball and you're listening to this podcast and you think your team is going through some struggles, just always remember this. You could be the Mets. They have had so many issues and they've had promise, the roller coaster, but you're right. Edwin Diaz for them has been awful. And I agree with you in the sense that the closing role is a little bit different. You talked about earlier, uh, you know, in earlier shows that you had closed at uh, certain times in your career. So, you know, maybe you can speak to this a little bit because I agree with you in the sense that there's got to be a certain um, presence on the mound when, when you come into close games. I mean, every every pitcher has their presence, but I thought you the point about Verlander giving up the home run or, you know, even Garrett Coles, you know, these elite type guys and what makes them elite. Yes, it's the stuff, but it's the mentality that backs it up. And it's the understanding of how to work through a ball game. But to the Verlander and Cole point that I'm trying to make, and a lot of fans who watch these guys pitch, watch them on a regular basis. Watch every single pitch because Verlander gives up a home run. Guess what? The dude gets pissed. I don't want to be the guy hitting after the guy that just hit the home run because I know I'm going to get 95 in excess up around my neck, and then I'm going to get this wicked, gnarly slider that breaks down and away from me at 90 to 92 miles an hour. Those guys get upset. Garrett Cole, he gets mad if he just makes a bad pitch. I mean, these guys, all of a sudden, they ramp it up. They gear it up. The umpire doesn't give him a call. He's like, F that guy. I'm going to make a better pitch. you know. And that's the mentality you want to see. And I think for both of us being parents, I think you know those are the adjustments you want to see your kids make in school, in life, in academics, is if it doesn't work and, and it doesn't go your way, you don't just fold. You get better. You make a better pitch. You make you do better on the next test. You you go in, you talk to the teacher, and you figure out what the heck is going on and how do I make it better? You don't accept that that's how it is. You change it, and that's how you go out there and do it. But the mentality – two things I want to ask you, Tuttle. The mentality of the closer has got to be extremely tough because you are you don't have five, six innings to correct things. You have one outing, three outs, maybe 15 to 20 pitches to make everything right. And the other thing I want to ask you is, you know, when you're in a high-stress situation – do you go to your third best pitch to get a guy out or do you stick with the number one, number two that you have? I think unless you have a scouting report, this is kind of like I, I always want to get beat with my best pitch. And I think you hear that often from, you know, successful guys. Like if if you are the closer and you have the right mentality, you want to dictate how things are going to go. Because the worst thing you can do, especially with eight guys behind you on defense, is go into the dugout and go, oh, yeah, that was so silly. I threw my changeup right down the middle. And every guy behind you is going to be like, why are you throwing your changeup? 
throw 95 on the outer half and see what they do with it. If you get beat with that, everybody always says, right, then you tip your cap. And so I really do think, you know, I know there are smarter minds and people way more in tune to the Astros bullpen than myself that are dealing with this issue. I do not know Osuna, just watching from afar. But right now, I wouldn't be afraid to get in the box against him. I, I couldn't hit 95, but I would not be afraid to stand in there and see what I got. Whereas you look at other guys come in the game and they just get after it. And I think as a starter, I remember this. Guys, there's plenty of guys that struggled in the first inning. So what do they do when they struggled in the first inning? A good bullpen coach and a good pitching coach would say, all right, go down to the bullpen a little bit earlier get loose a half hour before the game and then 10 minutes before you have to take them out, throw 12 pitches, like throw your first inning outside, inside, up, down, work your seat. Then when you actually take the mound, you've kind of got the rust out. You know, I mean, it's a mental thing as well, but you've now got this, the first inning jitters or whatever it is to get loose is out of your head. So whatever, whatever Roberto needs to do to get that, you know, kind of like the, the Tory door with the bull, right? You got to get, poke him, get him upset before the home run happens because he of course he gets upset after the home run happens and take the mound like there is no tomorrow and i think it's just as simple as that because watching his stuff he throws easy 95 96 and he has that little pause sometimes he quick pitches guys he's got enough deception and enough velocity to 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 make things happen and right now it's not happening and and there are other reasons i'm sure but those are those are the things that stand out to me just watching dare i say tuttle is in fuego because that was great analysis, a good breakdown of the mentality and the stuff. And he's right about, you know, maybe sometimes you got to, you know, mix up that routine a little bit and get yourself ready. So I love the fact that you were talking about just go out there and throw 12 pitches and kind of replicate that first inning and get it out of the way. So when you do take the mound, maybe mentally it's, a you know, you've gotten those 12 pitches out of the way and you can correct things a little bit. But to dig a little bit deeper into that Astros bullpen and move on, if you got, st- got some more stuff. I just wanted you to touch on the hitters side of it and then we'll get through the Astros bullpen. Just, you know, walking into the box since you asked me all the pitching stuff. When you, when you had a guy take the mound that, you know, he's 10 for his last 10 and you struggle against him, you're one for 10 lifetime and you're walking up to the plate. I mean, you know it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. So you're going to scrap. But when you have that guy come in that like blew the last two saves and they've, they're on a five-game losing streak, I mean, you walked in that box like you couldn't dig in there fast enough. Am I right? Like it, it is such a mental game. It almost doesn't matter what the stuff is and what the, uh, what the capability of the hitter versus the pitcher is. It has to do with the mentality of both sides. But tell me about a hitter. If you were walking up to the plate night, right now against Asuna, you might sit change up and, and rake one, right? I, I don't know. Well, th- that's what I was going to talk about is that you are looking for tendencies. And in this day and age when there are there is so much information out there and there's so much video that I could literally go probably into one of these video rooms and tell, our, tell the video coordinator, whoever's running this thing, show me Roberto Osuna against left-handed hitters very similar to me. And he's going to pull up every pitch he's thrown. And I can go through it bat to at bat to get a better idea of what he's trying to do. But to Tuttle's point, they are going to have tendencies. They're going to say, wow, he has been very heavy on his changeup. His fastball has been missing up out over the zone. So he's uncomfortable with that. So I can almost break it down to what zone I'm looking for that fastball. Because I, if I see it down, I'm going to spit on it and take it and force him to get back in the zone. And if he elevates one like he did at Yelich, he drives it out of the ballpark. And you're like, okay, that you know, I was ready for that. But th- that's the thing. If you're ready going into that box, you're going to be in great shape. But also, if you know a guy is not taking the mound with his chest puffed out 
and he's kind of, you know, the, the shoulders start to lean forward a little bit and that, that concave chest is sinking in. I'm looking at him going, bro, he's broken. I, he's scared of me now. It's not the other way around. And that's a big deal. And, you know, I'm actually pretty impressed he was able to get out of that inning the other day. It might have been because of the part of the order he was getting to. But if I, if I watch Christian Yelich and I'm in that Milwaukee Brewer dugout and I see him go deep, the shoulders, you know, the deflation sets in. Then he goes out and he gets that ground ball and he goes and he lobs it over there to first base. You know, that I'm sitting there going, boys, we've got him. We have got to get in that box and we have to force the issue and speed things up on him because right now it's out of control for Roberto Osuna. And it's it looks like he doesn't care, but it also looks like, you know, he's kind of taking things for granted. And that's when this game, you know as well as I do, that this game will jump up and bite you right in the but if you're not uh, fully engaged and thoroughly prepared for it. But yeah, you know when guys are scuffling a little bit, and you also know that if you have good numbers against them, that's playing against his mind. So anything you can use against them, you're definitely looking forward to getting that box against them. So the rest of the bullpen is interesting. I think the biggest concern for me right now is Brad Peacock, who's on the injured list with a, a sore shoulder. He was a guy that was a big part of 2017. And with him going on the IL for the second time with the same injury, brings up a little bit of concern for me that he may not get back and be right for the playoff roster. Not to say that maybe a ALCS or a World Series possibility might not be in his future, but for the time being, knowing that we're into September now, a good week, and he's still ailing, I'm not, I'm not too, uh, too happy about knowing that Brad Peacock might not be available. The next guy is Chris Davinsky. Uh, he calls his change up, the circle of death. It's a pretty good pitch when he's on, but he's he's highly mechanical. He's got to be right going downhill. But when he is good and the mechanics are right and the delivery is good and the deception is good and the fastball is around 95, 96, it makes that change up that much better. The only concern I have with Davinsky is he's got to be perfect. If he's not perfect, some things flutter up out of the zone. He gets hit around. Big Flames James, Josh James. He's ended up winning that or saving that game for Roberto Osuna in Milwaukee. And I thought that was a lot of fun to watch because he is a very intriguing piece to the puzzle for me just because of the velocity. He, uh, for me personally, watching him when he is right, and again, when he is in the strike zone with 98 to 100 miles an hour for an inning or two, the slider can be wiped out. His changeup is, is just good enough to change speeds on the fastball to get the swing and miss or maybe some soft contact off the end of the bat for a rollover. And with what he did in Milwaukee in an extreme situation for his first appearance after coming off the injured list in a high-stress situation, and he accomplished it, love that part about him. So that tells you a little bit about his makeup, and he made the adjustment after walking the first guy. But that's the only thing. It's the walks. You know, how consistent can he be? The last guy I want to give credit to is Will Harris. This dude is a bulldog on the mound. He never says no to A.J. Hinch. He's come in in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. He's saved a couple of games. I don't think he's a closer, and it's not a knock on Will Harris. I just don't think he's a closer because with the two pitches he has, I think he's more of a matchup guy or a certain situational type guy. I absolutely love him, and he is the most reliable closer, I mean, reliable pitcher that A.J. Hinch has in that bullpen, but they need Ryan Presley back off the injured list. And they need Roberto Osuna to step up the mentality to match the talent that Tuttle's talking about. So I watched the Josh James game, and that was awesome. I, and it, you guys nailed it. It's so great listening to you guys. You didn't have a pitcher in there, but uh, you guys have the inside knowledge. You know, obviously Josh James uh, worked on shortening up his motion a little bit. His arm looked a little freer. 
And I think TK mentioned that, you know, he missed four pitches arm side, which is never good when you're coming off an arm injury. But I was really impressed with the way you asked about AJ Hinch and controlling the clubhouse, how, I mean, they kept cutting to AJ on the broadcast, just deep breath, pencil writing in and he never not one time he did have uh, somebody loosening up in the bullpen but not one time in that inning he was going to live or die that inning with josh james you know whether josh james gave up the tying run or not and he let him work out of it and i think that was kind of a challenge in general and i know this from you know having pitched for quite a few years is that that was his first game back off the il missing arm side that's typically a mechanical thing, but it can also be a confidence thing when you're put in a situation like that, when you're, you know, you're being a little tentative because you just came off the IL. So that was a combination of things for me watching him and he gained confidence. I think there was a point where he kind of looked over like, oh, I wonder if AJ's going to come get me here with, you know, men on first and second and he got another out. It was one out first and second then two outs and he got a, the benefit of the doubt on that pitch with two uh, Yelich. That was kind of up in the zone. It was a strike, benefit of the doubt, and that turned the whole inning around. So again, back to our we're, we're in this podcast, we could just put in quotations like mental toughness. I mean, the game is so fragile on you know from a hitter and a pitching perspective. It's there. If you get one pitch, it could go your way. If you lose one pitch, it, it can all just fall apart. And I was really impressed with Josh James, um, Will Harris. I agree with you, stuff wise. I just think it's funny when you're talking about a guy like Davinsky who throws ninety five, ninety six with the circle of death, and he's got to be perfect. I don't know how it'd function in today's game. Because you got to be perfect when you throw it. You know, that that was Trevor Hoffman early in his career. Trevor Hoffman was 94-95 with a circle of death changeup, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Davinsky throws 95-96 with a decent changeup, circle of death changeup, and I don't know if he can be a closer for this team. So the game has definitely changed. Obviously, I'm not trying to compare Davinsky to Trevor Hoffman, but, you know, it is interesting to see the velocities. Just everybody throws really hard. And I think maybe to your point earlier, there's a lot of footage, there's a lot of tendencies, there's some other things going on in the game. The bullpen is where I think the Astros have a chink in the armor, and it'll be interesting to see how it gets rectified before the playoffs um, if Osuna gets it straightened out. And you get Presley back from the IL because he had the knee injury, right? He doesn't have an arm injury, so that's a big de- that's a big deal too. So he'll be coming back healthy and Josh James with confidence. So you could have Presley, Josh James, Davinsky, Harris, and, you know, if Roberto gets it squared away, that's a really good bullpen on paper. The future will tell. That's a beautiful thing. And I like how you kind of finish it off on that positive note. If those guys are healthy and they're right, that could be a devastating back end of the bullpen to try and help out some of these starters. We're going to skip to an injury update of George Springer, who made a phenomenal acrobatic type play out there in center field in Milwaukee, kind of banged his head against the center field wall coming down. And all reports are saying that he had a mild concussion and he's probably going to miss a couple of games, which is kind of convenient because the Seattle Mariners are in town. They've already been eliminated from any possibility of making any postseason run. They have a chance to play a weaker team and give one of their best players maybe a couple days off. So maybe next week, early next week, we'll see George Springer, which will be good because he's a main force at the top part of that lineup. But fortunately, we know that the depth on this ball club is pretty good. So they have some guys that they can plug in there and kind of continue to plod along, especially against the Seattle Mariners this week. It's funny. We talked about Hall of Famers earlier, but I look at Springer and Brantley. You asked about the golden era of the Astros. Springer and Brantley are probably not Hall of Fame baseball players. But boy, when you go back and look at the history of baseball, I mean, guys like that are the glue that keeps it all together. I mean, you know, they're all stars. You know, they look like they're having so much fun. I heard... uh, 
Michael Brantley yesterday on MLB uh, inside pitch in the morning. Really low key. Just if I were if I were back in baseball managing a baseball team, I want Springer and Brantley and guys like that. Bregman, the Golden Era baseball. We could just go through the lineup. Even a Reddick who gets a lot of heat nowadays because he's not hitting three twenty. You'll take those guys on your team every time. You start putting in Correa and Altuve and Verlander and Cole. I mean, any team would be lucky to have two of those guys, and you guys have like 10 or 12 of them. So I, I was, yeah, that catch was amazing. But you start adding them, like you said, plug and play. Let's put in, uh, let's put in Mariznick. Why not? We'll put in a gold glove center fielder to replace Springer and see how that goes. No, they're deep. It's a lot of fun. And I like the dynamic of a guy like George Springer, who's high energy. And then you back him up with a guy like Michael Brantley, who's a little more low key, focused, steady, and, you know, kind of a calming influence. But that energy is definitely something that plays well with the Houston Astros. And you're right, the depth. We could literally put put together just one podcast, if not more, breaking down the personality and talent of these guys and what it means to a major league team and why these guys are so so successful. But we can't do that. We've got more things to get to, and I know this is going to be one of the more fun aspects of the podcast, and of course, it's Waddle, Tuttle, Say. Right on, Blummer. Hey, I got a couple things. We're going to hold off until Blum and Blum and Blummer comes up. I can't even say Blum and Blummer. I'm stuttering through my words today. I'm so excited to be back on this podcast. Um, the, the, this is going to come out as more of a question I do have. I always have a sports-related and then obviously a, a view on life topic. So those are going to be my same format, the topics. The first topic, um, since we're going to defer to Blum and Blummer later, the first topic was the uh, letter, the fine letter that uh, Antonio Brown posted on Twitter yesterday. Really interesting because I think before Vegas stole the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, what happens in the clubhouse typically stays in the clubhouse. And I realized that the modern day player has this tendency and the modern day team say that, you know, hey, you guys signed Antonio Brown from the Steelers and you knew what you were getting. This is a guy that did like a live Facebook feed during a, you know, a losing locker room and a winning locker room and all this stuff. And Typically, you're not allowed to do that, and you don't do that, and you get fined for that. He put a letter from Mike Mayock, a fine letter, up on Twitter and basically said that this is, you know, BS. I shouldn't be getting these fine letters, and, you know, kind of the world revolves around me, and we'll see when the season starts that I'm going to be uh, not an integral part of the team. Essentially, I'm going to be the team. And then that leads to kind of back to the podcast and baseball and all that. I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody put a fine letter on Twitter from a baseball clubhouse, and I know there are things... You know, if you were upset at the league, it would be different. But I think when you're upset with your GM and the coach, you got to keep that in-house. And I I just I just can't see it going well. And this should be good for our fantasy football team because Jeff and I did not have to draft Antonio Brown this year. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I have a, a problem with I, – I do have a problem with Antonio Brown personally, but there's always that battle between, well, you know, what's he going to do on the field? And if he wins games for you, if you go 12-4 and – is that a good thing? And and we've been talking about the golden era of the Astros uh, baseball and the clubhouse and having a ton of professionals in there. Anyway, I was I was flabbergasted to see the letter up on Twitter, and I wanted to get your thoughts on the fact that he basically took an in-house letter from the general manager and made it public knowledge, and kind of uh, poo-pooed it, like basically said this isn't this isn't fair and this isn't right, and um, I'm going to be me and deal with it. And I, I just wasn't happy about that. What are you, what are your thoughts, Plumber? 
No, I, th- I think it plays terribly in the public, and I'm not sure if he put it out there to get public opinion on his side, but I'm, I, that may backfire a little bit and expose him for being the selfish player that I think you're kind of hinting at. He is a phenomenal player, and this is probably something that Tuttle and I will never have the opportunity to do, to do is call out management and coaches because we're so good. We were good enough to make teams. We were good enough to play, but I don't think we were good enough to go out there and say, you know what? You guys are nothing without me. Uh, but I think everybody is a bit of a role player on a, on a club. And not only how is it going to play publicly, why, why is there no – it seems like there's just a blatant disregard for what is in the clubhouse. And I think that's where baseball is a little bit different. Because if you are one of those disgruntled guys and you get a little ticked off at management, you come out and voice your opinion, you either have the the backing of your clubhouse or you have the guys that just kind of back away and you're traded or you're designated for assignment or release. There, there's, there's ways to handle that. I don't feel like it happens in baseball as often as it does in football where there's a lot more media attention, obviously. There's a lot more scrutiny involved, but... You know, I, it felt like going to the Raiders was going to be a great opportunity for Antonio Brown. And I don't understand why he's so concerned with the helmet or how he's being treated when the expectation is on all 53 guys that are going to be on that roster. You know, that's where he's kind of separating himself. And I think that's where the issue becomes me, me, me. And usually the me, me, me guy does not play well inside the clubhouse unless they are producing an exponential amount of points or yards or whatever. But uh, help me out with this because, you know, I've read a lot of this stuff, you know, just on the surface. But has anybody within the Oakland Raiders player wise stepped up or even around the league stepped up and backed up Antonio Brown and said, hey, he's getting mistreated? Yeah, I don't think so. I haven't seen that, you know, but back to what you were saying about the big league clubhouse, ask Derek Holland, you know, this year, how that went when he kind of crossed Bruce Bochy since uh, Mm -hmm. he got sent elsewhere about three weeks later, they couldn't send him out fast enough. And I don't think they did it to spite him as much. They just thought like, hey, this guy's not a team player if he's going to take this stuff publicly. And they, you know, he was on another team within three weeks. I did see somebody say, this is the strongest defense I could see, is that you knew what you were getting when you signed Antonio Brown. That's kind of the, right? He kind of burned all the bridges in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger and with uh, with the coach and even with his wide receivers coach. He, he just kind of, he made it about him. And I just wonder, ultimately, if it's all about you, suppose you get, you know, nine catches for 90 yards, but you want the ball more, you know? So now if the offense is not working, then you get in the huddle and Antonio Brown's just barking for the ball. I want mine. I want mine. I want mine. I just don't. Everybody acts like he's such a fantastic, phenomenal player that he's going to make the team better, which may be the case. But if he's making the you know himself better and his statistics better because he's a selfish player in spite of the team, does that really make your team better? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it might improve Derek Carr's stats. I, I just. Uh, ask the Patriots, right? Or ask San, T- San Antonio Spurs or even the Astros. Like w- winning is paramount. That doesn't mean you can't win with a selfish player, but I can't remember the last super successful team that had a se- uh, an, a selfish player that kind of stood out above the team. I mean, Tom Brady could be a selfish. Tom Brady's got six Super Bowl championships. He could walk around, you know, for the rest of his life just saying, hey, I won six, like deal with it. He doesn't say that. I just, I don't know. Antonio Brown... I don't think he's handling it the right way, and we haven't even started the season yet. I think he put out something just two days ago that said 
you know, this is how I work out in the off season. And the PR department from the Raiders had to say, uh, this isn't the off season, buddy. This is like, we're already in camp and we've been here. That just shows he wasn't there, right? I mean, he basically was doing his own thing. I think that's hilarious. Yep. We're four games into the preseason. He's like, this is AB's off-season workout. And he had done it like three days ago. And they're basically, they had to correct him. They're like, uh, AB, it's uh, it's not the off-season. It's uh, preseason. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's interesting, too. Like running backs, especially wide receivers, you need, you can't just run down the field and expect the ball to be put in your hands. You've got to have a quarterback that is able to put that in there. So Antonio Brown, as good as he is, has needed somebody to put the put the football in the vicinity of him so he can make plays. So he needs to remember that there is a little bit of a supporting cast that uh, you know that allows him to be as successful as he is. And when we get in these situations where you talk about a guy saying, I am the franchise, I am the best player, I will make you better, I will this, I will that, I like to just kind of go back in history, perk my you know mind up about this. Was was Tuttle saying the San Antonio Spurs, we can take it to the Golden State Warriors, you can take it to the Astros currently, and most notably the, the New England Patriots. When they've won, how many guys on their roster have said, I was the reason? How many guys on the Spurs? Did Tim Duncan step up and go, I was the reason? No. It was everybody – being as good as they can, playing together and winning those things. And I think that's where the mentality, like Tuttle said earlier, is put winning first. Everything will take care of itself. And even going back to the Justin Verlander statement that I made earlier is that, yeah, you know what? You could you could really argue that he is the best pitcher in baseball right now. And when he's on the mound, he can literally take over a game and throw a no-hitter. He has that potential every time he steps on the mound. But he doesn't go out there and go, I'm going to win today. He goes, the Astros are going to win today, and he's more concerned about winning. He knows that's a part of his legacy moving forward. Some guys get it. Some guys don't. I agree. I hope A.B. You know, proves me wrong in some way. Or, but, I, I mean, I think that the test of time has won out on that the, the selfish ball player. And, and just to finish up on J.B.'s point since you took it there, boy, did he, he couldn't find uh, Toro fast enough. He was looking around for Abraham <laughs> Toro. They, they showed that on air a few times. That was great because he knew like the 10th inning, but also that last play he made. I mean, you know, Verlander could have thrown 10 or 11, you know, hitless innings and still gotten a no-hitter, but that was huge. It was a 0-0 ball game, and that just goes to show what kind of teammate he is, and, you know, he understands that it was a team effort, and I really think that that's ultimately how you're going to find success. So, you know, more power to AB, but I, I see that ship uh, sinking before I see it uh, sailing to a Super Bowl. The next topic... And what'll Tuttle say? We are just going off today. We've had 10 days off and we're fired up. My uh, my topic today is, and, and I'm sure this will be very similar to the are you a robot topic, but uh, is I can't pay cash even when I want to. So I'm so excited now when I go take out money out of the ATM that now they offer me 50s instead of 20s. You don't have to carry around a wad of 20s like, oh, I got a couple of $50 bills or if you have 100 in your wallet, whatever it is. It's nice to carry bigger bills, and I've been trying to use my credit card less and just go with cash. I went in to buy smoothies the other day for the kids. It was me and the three kids, so we buy four or five smoothies. It was like fifteen bucks, twenty bucks, and I had a fifty dollar bill. And I'm like, "Hey, here's a fifty And the cash. The lady goes, "Oh, we we can't take a bill over twenty dollars." What? I'm like, "Well, how how am I gonna get my smoothies?" And like, "Well, don't is it isn't." That's currency, right? Yes, like currency. money is still currency. Yeah, that's right, I guess. <laughs> but it happens often. So I'm like, so I said, I looked at her. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's a 19-year-old like counter girl who's going to make me a smoothie. It's not, you know, this isn't like 
the manager running, but I'm like, well, I, are we at a stalemate? Like, can I not get the smoothies that I just ordered and then that she's making right over there? I just, I don't understand it. I don't get it. So like, why do I have to go get cash? So I actually didn't bring in, you know, then I'm scrambling. Then it's on the, again, so this is, but now we're back to the customer service take. You know, now I'm getting the, the customer service and there is no sort of problem solving going on. I mean, all the problem solving is on my side of the counter. I mean, there's no like, oh, well, sir, we can let me open the reg and see if we have change. Let me let me try and figure this out since I've already started this order of smoothies. No, there's no problem solving. The problem solving is all on my end. So I said, well, here I have a $50 bill. I, I don't have any other cash. Can can we pay for the? Nope, we can't do it. Well, just how about this one time? Can we look in the register and see? Nope, sorry, I can't take a bill over 50. I'm like, what are you going to do with those four smoothies I just ordered? You know, like, all right, let me go out to my car and let me see if I have my debit card or my credit card out there. I'll, I'll be right back. I go out there. I'm like scrambling. Oh, yeah, here's my debit. I come in. So I solved the problem. Yay, I got my smoothies. Here's my debit card, which I didn't want to use anyway. So now I still have $50 in my wallet. Now it's like, go to the next store, you know? I mean, you know. Can you take $50? No, sorry. Well, but I just bought $48 worth of stuff. No, I'm sorry. I just can't take the 50. You don't have $2 of change. Nope. I, I Look right here. Here's the sign, sir. It's right here. I cannot accept a bill over $20. What is the world coming to? I can't wait till I start pulling out hundreds. You should just start pulling out hundos. Here you go. Slam it on the counter and go deal with it. This is what I got. The best part is, and I don't understand that either. I don't know if it's like a security issue or like, are, are you worried about getting jumped or robbed and have your $50 bill stolen from a register? I don't know what it is. But the the other funny part in talking about the cash business these days is, man, I, we were actually in San Francisco and there's a burger place right around the corner that I love going to. So you're right. You know, I go on a road trip, I'll pull out some cash, but I was like all proud. You know, I got my, my money and I, you know, I slide it across the counter. The look I get is like, oh no. The guy that—that's like—that's real money. I can't—I can't swipe that through the through the register. And they look at the you know they look at the touch screen and start hammering some buttons. And all of a sudden the magic drawer goes boing and it pops out. They—they—they they, they look in there and they wow there is I can make change. And they put the twenty in there and then all of a sudden the math kicks in. And that's probably one of the more funny parts about it is when the register says four eighty seven is the change. And they go, oh, damn. One, two, three, four. Okay, four dollars. I got four dollars. And they put those crumply bills in their hand. They're like, four dollars. And then they go through every little like change pocket that's down there. And you just hear the change rattling around. And they go, how the hell do I add up to 87 cents? <laughs> I, I worked in retail way back when in high school. And I remember actually being taught to count change correctly. So you give me a 20 and now the change is... Yeah, right. So the change is seven twenty-five, but then it was the change was okay. That was you know twelve dollars. You're like, all right, here's thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and then five makes twenty. So you count it back so that it adds up to twenty. Try doing that today. Are you kidding me? Nobody has a clue. They can't even get the forty. They're like, uh, here's two pennies. Um, here's a nickel and a nickel and then three quarters. Yeah. Oh, I'm almost out of quarters. It's like. But I just, and, and now, you know, we sound, we've talked about being old school. We're just old fuddy-duddies. And I realize that Apple Pay works. I have Apple Pay on my phone. I use it. It's just, you know, I'm just trying to use cash. It's a good, uh, you know, accounting trick. Mm -hmm. Even at Trader Joe's, like they, I, I, I typically use Apple Pay, but I had, you know, <laughs> God forbid, I had a $100 bill paying at Trader Joe's. 
And the lady is like bagging groceries or I'm bagging the groceries and we're working the, the tandem here. You bag and you're charging. Okay, you want anything else? No, no, no. They have to reach over and hit like the cash button. Oh my gosh, she pulled out. Oh, it's cash. Okay. Because so few people pay cash. And now I'd much rather pay cash than have that lady in front of you writing a check for $7.27, which that still happens on occasion too. But anyway, so my rant today was please retailers, let's, uh, let's, let's teach our employees how to count change and accept at least 50 to $100 bills. I think that would be reasonable. All right, so everybody, so our Bleacher Blums t-shirts are at crushcitytees.com because our website's not up yet. In a couple of weeks, we'll probably have our website up, but right now to get your Bleacher Blums t-shirts, please go to crushcitytees.com. Crush City, T-E-E-S, is the place to go for custom H-Town baseball tees. They have direct-to-garment machine. They can make your idea a reality with no minimums, no setup fees, and unlimited colors. They also provide embroidery and screen printing design and printed in houston for you houstonians and any of you bleacher blums listeners crushcitytees.com crushcitytees.com please go there to get your bleacher blums t-shirts they have men's and women's many colors and we're soon to have some more merch but hopefully that'll be up on our website soon and my favorite part of the podcast is coming up here and that is Blum and Blummer. You ready, Blum? Oh, it's on. And I tell you what, if, after that last story about you needing all this cash, go get you some Bleacher Blum's t-shirts so the tunnel can just roll in it. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That's Jeff Blum's. Full of shit, man. So, on Blum and Blummer. I've been getting a lot of questions about this on Twitter, and I've obviously expressed my concern while doing broadcasts about this situation. Umpire ejections recently for the Astros have been a little sketchy for me at best. And I know that the umpire strike zone is what it is. You've got to adjust to it. But the ejection part is a little concerning for me, just in the sense that it has been a couple of younger umpires with a chip on their shoulder that have ejected both Josh Reddick in recent days and Justin Verlander. The issue I have with it is, is that players are going to vent. As an umpire, you got to have thick skin. We know that the fans are on you, coaches are on you, players are on you. Everybody expects you to be perfect and call the game according to how they want it. But it, we all applaud consistency. But you're going to get yelled at. You're going to have a bad day. You may have had a bad day at home and you brought that to your strike zone or you brought that to your, your mentality when you're in an argument. But Josh Reddick struck out in a big situation, slammed his bat, slammed his helmet. Obviously, he gets fined for that because the league frowns on you slamming all that stuff. Says his piece to the umpire, is walking away, and he gets tossed with his back to the umpire. That's number one. Most recently, two starts ago, Justin Verlander on the mound having some issues with the strike zone. So Justin has an issue, makes a pitch. It's a little bit off the outside corner in the fifth inning, and the next pitch gets hit hard for a double. Justin starts letting the home plate umpire have it understandably, maybe saying, I don't like your strike zone, probably wasn't directed at the umpire. Because if you do start directing it at the umpire, you've got to expect some retribution or maybe an injection for that. So Justin Verlander airs his grievance, turns around, two, two maybe three more words at the umpire, like he can't believe that call was made. Look at what, look at what happened. He ended up giving a hit. Snatches the ball back and has his back to the umpire and he gets ejected. I can't stand that. 
Why are umpires chasing the player? Let him say his piece. As soon as Durlander or Reddick turns his back, they are done with it. They are moving on. These are two veteran guys who understand that they wanted to get their voice out there. They wanted to air out their opinion. And as soon as Verlander turned around to grab that ball, he was moving on to the next hitter. Guess who wasn't? The home plate umpire. Oh, he's showing me up. I'm going to eject him. Um, that's that's where I have taken umbrage with that a little bit. And there's no retribution for the player. The player just has to wear it. But what sucks is that you're taking the best pitcher in baseball out of a great game that he is pitching because you felt that he yelled at you a little too much. Or maybe, you know, he said something that you felt was unwarranted. But you know what's unwarranted is getting shot in the back and then thrown out of a game. Tuttle, how do you feel about that? Old school blummer. I'm right there with you. So this was a topic I was thinking about for uh, good old what'll Tuttle say. And uh, I had written some notes on it. The funny, the cool thing actually is I've been watching a lot more Astros broadcasts, but both the games uh, where these guys got tossed, I wasn't watching. So I did not hear your take, didn't hear anything. So these are fresh here. But the old school mentality is there's two things. One is you need to show up the umpire, right? If you show the umpire up, he, he has the right to toss you. The other thing is personal. If you get personal, which is what you were just touching on, the you, right? Those are the two, like, those are pretty much unwritten rules. Actually, they could be written rules somewhere. But if you do either of those things, you get tossed. If you do both those things, you're definitely getting tossed. I saw the highlight for Reddick and Verlander. Neither of them did either of those things. So not did they do one or both. They did neither. And that part I have a huge issue with. Verlander especially, we talked about his intensity. He wants to throw a no-hitter every time out. He's dominating the race. It's a nine nothing game. You know, the umpires may be thinking, ah, it's, oh, it was Pat Hoberg, by the, by the way. So Pat Hoberg tossed him. But he was he was he wasn't he was frustrated. He gets upset with himself. He gets upset when he gives up a home run. You know, say they're winning five nothing and he gives up a home run in the seventh inning is one earned run. Verlander gets upset with himself. So he's he's expecting perfection. As an umpire, you should know he's expecting perfection. Can you be perfect? No. So guess what? He might take some uh, you know, umbrage with some things that you do back there. But as long as he doesn't show you up or walk up close to you and start saying, hey, let's go. What's going on? And that nowadays, everybody's mic'd up. They showed some highlights. I mean, first of all, his back was completely to him. He got tossed. He didn't even know it. Like that is just you know, against the cardinal rules of baseball. He didn't show him up. He didn't get personal. He shouldn't have been tossed. I actually thought Reddix was more interesting. He did neither of those things either, actually. He did throw his bat and helmet, but he couldn't believe he got tossed. And he you could just see the – he was like, he tossed him. He just – he boiled over so much that he wanted to go back at him, and he didn't even do that. And he just – he couldn't do anything. And that's when AJ came out, obviously, to hold him back. But that's when you're going to get – if you really want to get under someone's skin, throw him out for no reason – and then see how they handle it. Um, I didn't see that the aftermath of Verlander getting tossed, but I just know he was fired up. But I, I think this is old school, new, new school stuff. These umpires have to watch some more old school baseball and realize, like, you're going to have people disagree with you. You signed up for that. You're not going to be perfect. You signed up for that. But let's let's stick to the old school rules, which is if he's showing you up and embarrassing you, all right, now you have an argument. Now give them a warning. Hey, look, you keep it up, I'm going to toss you, right? That's the other thing. They usually give you a warning. Uh, and, you know, I, I love, we got to go back and watch the old Earl Weaver and the old Billy Martin stuff. I mean, they could stay out there, stay out there, stay out there. The umpire took it, and then they said, 
you something <laughs> and then it was like you're out of here <laughs> so anyway yeah i completely agree I, I it almost felt like the umpires were looking for a reason i don't know why you want to look for a reason in a nine nothing game with verlander throwing he's going to make your day a lot easier he's going to kind of keep flying through the game and now you're hey now we got to bring in a reliever that's great yeah unacceptable it is unacceptable and Bobby Cox, who led all of baseball in ejections, has just got to be wondering what in the heck is going on. Earl Weaver, looking at some of this, is probably just laughing, going, what? They got ejected for that? They didn't even turn their hat around, spit on the guy, kick his tick dirt on him. I mean, Billy Martin and these guys, they would watch video of guys getting ejected now and be just laughing They because they would probably get two steps out of the dugout before they'd get ejected. And I think the most important thing that fans and umpires need to realize is even though a guy is pitching 200 plus innings, every guy, every time, even though a guy is getting 600 plus at bats during the course of a season, every one of those is paramount for those guys. They don't take one at bat for for granted. They don't take one inning for granted. They're competing. They're competing for themselves. They're competing for them fa- their families. They're competing for a contract. They're competing for their teammates. They're competing for the World Series. That's why these guys are so competitive and maybe air out and take umbrage with some of your calls. So that's another thing that I feel like umpires don't really take into account is instead of being like, oh, this guy doesn't like my strike zone, maybe be like, oh, maybe it was a tight pitch. This guy's upset. He gave up the hit. Now he's got to work around some damage or I put him in a bad situation because of the count. That's why he's upset. He's not upset with me personally. He's upset with the situation that, or, or maybe the outcome because of a previous call or a previous pitch. But to call to throw those guys out without them looking at it or having them in their face poking them or yelling at them or like Tuttle said, saying, you suck, You know, that's where I, I take a lot of issue with that. And that's going to do it, dude. I think we crushed this uh, this podcast. It has been a while. It's been, what, 10 days since we've been on air. We are back at it. You know that you can reach Tuttle at Real David Tuttle on Twitter and on Instagram. You can reach myself at Blummer27 on Twitter and Instagram. I'm just going to throw it to you real quick for any parting shots. Yeah, so a couple things. One is we always want to give a shout out to the first responders in the military that keep us safe. I just, uh, we can't thank them enough. Every time we do this podcast, it obviously brings it home, but they run in when we're running away and we wouldn't be able to do the podcast and do anything else that we do if it weren't for first responders, our military service uh, service men and women. So we really appreciate that. I want to leave you with a happier thought, which is the NFL season starts tonight. Blum and I are kicking off our fantasy football season here as co-GMs. I'm really looking forward to uh, the NFL season. And uh, next, next podcast, you can expect to have a few more uh, betting tips, right? Some insider information about where we want to spend our money during the uh, football season. So that's all I got. As I say that, I always got to leave you with don't bet on it. And uh, I'll throw it back to you, Blummer. Yeah, I actually can't wait to get on the uh, the betting train and try and figure this out and have some fun with that. Uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Maybe we could keep track somehow with the fans and uh, and keep that updated on Twitter or maybe through our website and some of the uh, email situations we're trying to create. You know, and that being said, this is the month of September. September 11th is coming up, so I'm sure that it'll it'll be a memorable week because we never forget uh, those events back in September 11th of 2001. So we do appreciate all the military, all first responders. You you have a great deal to do with our ability to be who we want to be and to be the best we can be. 
I think that's going to do it for us. We're going to close out this episode of Bleacher Blums. Hopefully we reach out to you earlier next week and get on a get on a schedule here with things going on. A big September for the Astros. Football season is upon us, so expect some maybe more banter about the NFL. I don't want to talk about the Texans because I don't understand what the hell is going on here in Houston with their football team. But if I do want to figure it out, apparently I can go to Rice University and take a class on how to run an NFL franchise into the ground. That being said, I'll let you guys just stew on that for a little bit. But it's been a great Bleacher Blums. That's going to do it for us. And right now, you know what we're going to do. We're going to tell you to get after it. Most of all, believe it. Down